You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Helsinki blames Beijing's APT-31 for cyber espionage against Finland's parliament. Russia withdraws its ambassador to the U.S., calling him home for consultation after the USIC's report on election influence ops. Risk management for industrial control systems and especially for an often overlooked part of the power grid. Johannes Ulrich from SANS on evading anti-malware sandboxes with new CPU architectures. Our guest is Tony Cole from Ativo on dealing with adversaries already inside your network. A guilty plea in an odd extortion attempt, why China's wary of Teslas, and the indictment of a hacktivist. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, March 19th, 2021. The AP reports that Helsinki's domestic security service, the SUPO, has identified China as responsible for a cyber espionage incident that breached Finland's parliament last year. The intrusion was detected last October, and the investigation has now concluded that the specific threat group responsible for it was APT-31, an intelligence unit run by Beijing that's also known as Zirconium or Judgment Panda. Finnish broadcaster YLE quoted a detective superintendent of the National Bureau of Investigation to the effect that the espionage aimed at acquiring information for the benefit of a foreign nation or to harm Finland. That by itself is uninformative. It's practically a tautology to say that governments spy to advance their own interests at the expense of other governments. So, that statement is probably best read as meaning our investigation is still in progress. In an apparent expression of displeasure with American policy and public diplomacy, Russia has recalled its ambassador to the United States from Washington, bringing him back to Moscow for consultation. The Wall Street Journal notes that the move came the day after the U.S. intelligence community released its unclassified assessment, accusing Russian President Putin of personal involvement in malign influence operations directed at the 2020 U.S. elections. Mr. Putin isn't happy that the report was as specifically personal as it turned out to be. The U.S. Government Accountability Office yesterday released a study that highlighted vulnerabilities in the U.S. power distribution system. Many of the risks the GAO describes derive from utilities' increased permission of remote access and connection of control systems to business systems. The report is focused on power distribution 
and that perhaps warrants some explanation, which the GAO itself provides. The power grid includes three distinct functions. First, there's power generation and storage. These include both the obvious conversion of various other forms of energy, chemical, mechanical, thermal, radiant, or nuclear, into electrical power, and the often overlooked, by consumers at least, storage of energy in such repositories as batteries or pumped hydroelectric facilities. Second, there's transmission, which connects power storage and generation to the places where the power is consumed. These include such familiar things as transmission lines and electrical substations. And finally, there's distribution, which is the subject of the GAO's study. Distribution systems move electrical power out of the transmission system and into industrial, commercial, residential, and other end users of the electricity. The distribution systems might include distributed energy resources, like the solar panels, sometimes installed on houses, and networked meters, thermostats, chargers, and so forth at consumers' location. These are, for the most part, networked industrial control systems. And these, especially as they're found in power distribution, are increasingly exposed to potential cyber attacks. The department has paid more attention to generation, storage, and transmission than it has to distribution, and it told the GAO that its general opinion is that the risks are greater in these areas than they are in distribution. That there's a risk here, the GAO says, is clear. What the scope of that risk may be, however, is unclear, and the report asks the Department of Energy to take a closer look at that risk. A bill intended to enhance cybersecurity for industrial control systems advanced in the U.S. House this week, FCW reports. The DHS Industrial Control Systems Capabilities Enhancement Act of 2021 cleared the House Homeland Security Committee yesterday. The measure, introduced by Representative John Kotko, Republican of New York's 24th District, would give the CISA director the lead federal role in identifying and mitigating risks to industrial control systems and process control technologies. FCW suggests that the attempted cyber sabotage of the Oldsmar, Florida water utility provided the motivation for the proposed law. Representative Katko did allude to Oldsmar in talking about the bill, quote, these systems operate many vital components of our nation's critical infrastructure and remain under constant attack from cyber criminals and nation-state actors. As we saw recently when a Florida water treatment facility was targeted, these attacks can have devastating real-world consequences. End quote. CISA continues to try to help both government agencies and the private sector secure their systems against recent severe threats. For one thing, CISA has released CHIRP, the CISA Hunt and Incident Response Program Forensics Collection Tool, the agency developed to help organizations find indicators of compromise CISA has associated with SolarWinds and the Microsoft 365 Azure environments. In thinking about risk, it's of course a truism that there are three things you can do with it. You can accept risk, you can manage risk, or you can transfer risk. We were able to attend Wednesday's session of the Johns Hopkins University's 7th Annual Virtual Cybersecurity Conference, the second of a planned three. The presentations took up the latter two as experts described how to reduce risk, fix liability for it, and arrange insurance that covers such risk. 
Our account of Wednesday's conference takes you through the presentations. You can find that on our website. The draft of NIST SP 1800-22 Mobile Device Security Bring Your Own Device is out and open for comment until May 3, 2021. It's a practice guide designed to help organizations protect their data and their personal privacy of their personnel while their people use personal mobile devices to get work done, as so many are doing during the pandemic. We're used to ransomware being installed by phishing or waterholing or other online social engineering, but sometimes the social engineers go old school and try to do their convincing in person. That has its own perils for the scammer as well as the scammed. Witness one Yegor Yegorich Kryuchkov, 27 years young and a Russian national. Mr. Kryuchkov has taken a guilty plea in the U.S. District Court for the District of Nevada, copping to conspiracy to get a Tesla employee to introduce malware into his company's systems. Mr. Kryuchkov and his co-conspirators intended to use the malware to steal corporate information, which they then hold hostage, threatening to release it if they weren't paid a generous consideration for returning it unreleased. The employee reported the approach to Tesla, who reported it to the FBI, who got the goods on Mr. Kryuchkov. Sentencing is scheduled... For May 10th. Speaking of Tesla, the Wall Street Journal reports that China intends to restrict military and state employees from driving them. It would be easy to dismiss this as a mean-spirited shot in the ongoing Sino-American competition, but despite all the stick the government in Beijing takes in this podcast, in fairness, we have to say that they're not crazy to have security concerns. Late model cars have lots of sensors and connectivity, and the Teslas are more fashion-forward in this than any other mark we can think of off the top of our head. A Tesla is a sweet ride, but from another point of view, it's also a big mobile sensor package chattering in somebody's cloud. Even grim regimes have legitimate security concerns. If in 1999 NSA could tell its people to keep their Furbies out of Fort Meade, Furbies tending to repeat the things they hear, then it seems fine for the People's Liberation Army to tell the troops to drive their Buicks to work instead. Leave the Tesla home in the carport. And finally, Swiss hacktivist Tilly Kotman, the one who claimed responsibility for the Verkata security camera hack, has been indicted by the U.S. Justice Department on federal charges of conspiracy, wire fraud, and aggravated identity theft. The Verkata caper was just the last straw, if it was even that, Cotman's apparently been acting as a malign nuisance for some time, if the Justice Department has it right, at least since 2019. Cotman has told the record, among others, that the data Cotman obtained came from misconfigured GitLab and Bitbucket Git servers, but also from SonarCube source code management apps. Justice says that's not the whole story, or even the main story. Some of the data Cotman is alleged to have obtained and subsequently used included improperly obtained employee credentials. What were the alleged motives? More the pursuit of cachet than cash, apparently. The Justice Department says promotion of Cotman's own reputation in the hacking community was a goal. How that weighed in comparison with the hacktivist desire to strike a blow against contemporary surveillance practices remains to be seen.
Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. There's a line of thinking in cybersecurity that basically says, assume you have already been breached. Operate as if the adversary is already in your system. Of course, there's nuance to this argument, and joining me to discuss that is Tony Cole. He's chief technology officer at Ativo Networks. For those of us in the business, most of us have realized this for a long period of time. We don't know who's inside the environment today. SolarWinds is, is really, uh, you know, and I hate to use the term because we've said it so many times over the last couple of decades, but it truly should be a wake-up call that we need to be cognizant of the fact that uh, the adversary sooner or later is going to get inside the environment, and we need to be aware of that and build an assumption of breach mentality. And by that, I mean we need to really start instrumenting on the inside of our networks, prevent what we can, but focus on detection as well so that we can catch them knowing that they will break in sooner or later. Well, let's dig into that. I mean, what what sort of things are available or that you recommend for detecting these sorts of things? Well, I think that uh, there's a lot of pieces that we need to focus on today that, uh, you know, get some coverage, but not near enough. You know, when you look at lateral movement, MITRE has done some tremendous work and, and NIST has as well, you know, with 853, REV5, you know, and those controls, I'm sure your listeners know, feeds into the cybersecurity framework. You know, they've started to focus on deception. MITRE has now built an active defense, you know, structure called MITRE Shield that's the counter to MITRE attack. And both of those teams now uh, do some work around deception. And MITRE Shield truly does a tremendous amount of work around deception and has all deception team there led by Dr. Stan Barr. Uh, and those, those pieces are really important to instrument inside your environment and look for that lateral movement. 
The other piece that's critically important is the solar winds breach that just took place and really tells us why we should also be focusing on, on Active Directory. That's been a problem for a very long period of time. Most red teams and attackers, that's one of their first targets they go after, and yet very little is done on the defensive side for Active Directory. So that is a critical, critical point, looking at that, protecting it, and uh, stopping privilege escalation. You know, I can imagine a lot of folks feeling a bit overwhelmed when you look at something like solar winds and you try to imagine, you know, how far down my supply chain do I have to go uh, to, to verify, you know, that, that there's security there. But I suppose in, to a certain extent, if, if really what you're focusing on is behavior, uh, that helps take away that concern. You don't have to be so concerned with that. You're You're keeping an eye on what's going on under your own roof. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we all know the old saying, trust but verify. And and I think in this instance, we kind of need to turn it on its head. And, mm. you know, you can continuously verify and then trust. But even after you trust, you, you need to still keep verifying, you know, across the board that there's no malicious actors inside the environment and they're not moving laterally or, or escalating privileges. And I think it's it's going to continue to be a problem for a long period of time. I heard a number of speeches on this, and I won't name names of companies, but people talked about, you know, this is the most significant breach, you know, in history that we know of. And uh, to me, mentally, I chuckle, and I've got a lot of uh, old other graybeard friends, that same thing, that chuckle, because what no one ever says, and they should, is that we know of. You know, it's like... <laughs> and, and so far. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, what other yeah. existing ones are out there? I mean, there's a lot of other, you know... Uh, very deeply penetrated into enterprises out there, you know, different technologies, different software, you know, uh, suppliers that, uh, you know, we don't know if that technology is good unless you're looking for that lateral movement inside your environment and you're stopping privilege escalation in its tracks, then you simply don't know. So that's a, just a critical piece for people to focus on. And I think why we're, we've seen NIST and MITRE really double down on it in the last three years. You know, again, going back to that person who may feel a little overwhelmed, uh, you know, overworked and under-resourced, where, did, where should they start? How do you, what are your recommendations for where to begin? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. You know, uh, the EDR technology is, is good, you know, uh, and there's, that's an easy area to, to focus on because everybody knows endpoints are an important piece. Uh, the perimeter is gone, you know, uh, with the pandemic ongoing. Uh, the little bit of perimeter we had left has been blown away. You know, uh, down the line, we're going to have pretty much cloud and endpoints. So focusing on the endpoint is, is a great first start, you know, in an area that most defenders know very, very well. So upgrading that endpoint technology, EDR, and then adding additional pieces onto that endpoint that can help you protect Active Directory and help you detect lateral movement very quickly. You know, those can uh, be a, a fantastic addition you know, that uh, will stop the adversary very, very quickly. So you're literally building instrumentation inside your enterprise via the endpoint to detect when somebody is on those systems and you're not trying it completely from a preventative fashion. Instead, you're, you're focusing an additional uh, level of effort on detection, all in an area that the you know, defender already knows from the endpoint security perspective. That's Tony Cole from Ativo Networks. There is a lot more to our interview. Don't forget to go listen to extended versions of this and many other interviews at CyberWire Pro. It's on our website, thecyberwire.com. 
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's great to have you back. Um, You know, my attention has been caught recently by uh, Apple's release of their uh, Silicon Max uh, based on uh, ARM architecture. Um, And I'm curious what your insight is on on what sort of effect this could have on uh, evading malware. Are are the malware folks taking uh, notice of these new processors and potentially the, the, the opportunities therein? Yeah, and I think uh, that surprised me too how quickly Malware actually was released, optimized for Apple Silicon, as it's sometimes called. There was initially no real sort of good reason for it. Uh, Apple did a pretty good job with its uh, Rosetta software uh, to make it uh, seamless for x86 software to still work on uh, these new Apple Silicon Macs. So uh, performance usually isn't a big problem either uh, for malware. Uh, So the the big question was why? And uh, one of our Internet Storm Center readers actually provided a real good reason, and that's uh, anti-malware. A lot of advanced anti-malware these days uh, has sort of some kind of sandbox component uh, where uh, it runs a particular sample that it receives uh, for a while and then sort of does some behavioral analysis on it. And that's sort of how a lot of the good uh, exploits are found these days. But uh, then again, one big shortcoming of uh, the Apple Silicon architecture right now is that there aren't really any great virtualization uh, platforms uh, to actually set up these sandboxes. So Mm. in short, if you compile it uh, for an Apple Silicon architecture, the malware will not run in these sandboxes, behavioral analysis will not work, and the end effect is uh, that, well, it may pass the filter. Hmm. Is this? I mean, should we expect this to be a closing window that uh, eventually these sorts of things will run on Apple Silicon, and uh, so it won't be effective anymore? I hope so. Uh, now, uh, I expect there is at least like a year or so where uh, we don't really have sort of any out of the box commercial uh, sandbox technology for it. Uh, maybe even longer. Uh, hmm. It doesn't appear to be trivial to do this sort of cross-platform virtualization. There are some open source products that do some of this, like QEMO and such, but uh, they're not terribly straightforward uh, to get going. Now, in the past, we had sometimes these other platforms being used for IoT devices, uh, like these famous uh, Mirai-style bots. They usually came in different varieties. But that kind of malware, you're not typically concerned about running in a in a sandbox. Uh, it's usually the one that affects the end user, that affects your general computing platforms. And yeah, up to now, uh, that was pretty much an x86 world. Uh, that has 
really had some inroads uh, from ARM uh, only in the last year or so. And of course, the big one now was uh, with Apple's uh, new processor. So if you're someone who's taking advantage of uh, these new processors from Apple, what should your approach be? How should you best protect yourself? Well, probably the best approach is if it's an attachment and if it's an executable, block it. Uh, don't allow it in. I get an awful lot of weird attachments myself, of course, you know, doing research and such. I don't remember the last time someone sent me an executable. And you know, people sometimes send me intentionally uh, malware. And by the way, if anybody's listening, I love malware. Send it my way. Uh, but... Um, uh, um, Really, you hardly have a get action executable, so uh, just block it. Be careful what you ask for, Johannes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. It takes grease out of your way. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. If you're looking for a fun way to fill part of your weekend, do check out Research Saturday and my conversation with Jen Miller Osborne from Palo Alto Network's Unit 42. Our conversation focuses on Bendy Bear, a novel Chinese shell code linked with cyber espionage group Black Check. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Falecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.